Hi there, my name is Ben Eaton, and welcome to the Performing Musicians Podcast. In this podcast, I'll be chatting to a broad range of musicians, artists, songwriters about their experience in the music industry. We'll be talking about their dreams, their background, their career highlights, and a range of other topics relating to making a living inside this tough cutthroat industry. We'll also be discussing the current COVID-19 crisis and how it affects their income, their goals, their dreams, and what they think might happen next to them and the industry they love. Without further ado, let's get into it. Hi, guys, and welcome to the Performing Musicians Podcast. Um, today, I'm super excited to talk to my old mate, Brisbane legend, musician, agent, Chris Dillon. How are you, mate? I'm very well, Ben. Thanks for having me. It's, it's an absolute pleasure. I've been wanting to chat to you for ages. You are in Brizzy right now. Um, just to get us kicked off, can you tell us... Uh, what do you do and how long have you been doing it? Um, currently, I am running a booking agency called Rooster Entertainment here in Brisbane. And I kicked that off around about uh, 15 years ago now. Yeah, I uh, finished Already? up playing in a band. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. It's been a long time. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And, and so we you- were going well. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, we'll get to that. Um, yeah. So you're a, you said you were, you were. I mean, I know I know the, what the band is, miles from nowhere. But you you were you were yeah. part of a um, a Brisbane institution, if you will, one of the one of the uh, the best live live bands kicking around Brisbane, sort of nineties, early two thousands. Um, yeah. And then you decided to go into being an agent. What triggered that change? Um. Well, uh, I was very happily. Uh, in, involved with uh, my, my wife now, uh, Nicola. We weren't married at the time and um, we wanted to start a family. And, uh, you know, the band life, we were doing a fair bit of travel at that stage, doing the, you know, the whole sort of, you know, that was the days when you actually produced a CD, a tangible product, and, and uh, you would then jump in the van and uh, drive up and down the coast. Uh, tell, us, tell us more, Grandpa. <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> yeah. Uh, well, there were some positives. There were some benefits to that those Absolutely. times, I can tell you. But, um, yeah, it does get to be a little bit of a grind as well, though, and I think that, that we had done, uh, you know, it had sort of reached its natural end, uh, the band, and, and uh, we were ready to, to move on with a, a different sort of chapter in our lives. And um, I moved to sort of performing in a solo format, uh, as you do when you're playing in a band in a, in a, in a town or a city like Brizzy, you, you make lots of relationships with um, venue managers and publicans. And um, I, you know, started doing a few of these solo gigs at, at these places. And one uh, very nice man who I'm still mates with today and, and he's still involved with his company, he asked me if I would like to coordinate their um, solo entertainment. And, um, you know, at that stage it was just an opportunity for me to, roster my mates on so uh <laughs> you know which i thought yeah i'll do that and, and uh took a 10 percent commission and uh, i grew from there you know just sort of that venue led to another venue and then uh you know 
we we were doing very well, as I said, just pre-COVID, but um, we'll get back there again, I'm sure. Awesome. So let's go back. Let's go back in the way back machine, mate. So are you from Brisbane originally? I'm originally from Mackay uh, in North Queensland or sort of central North Queensland sort of thing. Um, yeah, I came to Brizzy when I was around 11. Uh, my parents divorced and, and um, uh, my mother was doing it pretty tough and, and we had an opportunity to come to Brisbane and get some support from her parents, uh, which we did. And, and um, I, for a long time, took me, to, took me a while to get used to the bigger city. Uh, I loved Mackay. Mackay has a, uh, a certain charm to it. And, that's, uh, that's putting it nicely, mate. My a lot of my family lives there, so I'm intimately familiar with Mackay. Yeah, it's yeah, an interesting well, little. Yeah. It's an interesting little place. It is. Yeah, you know, the fishing's great, and uh, <laughs> there's some there's some uh, you know uh, under underbelly of Mackay that's probably not so attractive, and and um, it's a little bit perhaps still stuck in the dark ages in, in a lot of ways, but. Um, it was nice as a kid to be to be able to just jump on a bike and uh, you know ride down to Far Beach and pump a bucket full of yabbies and catch a bag full of whiting. That was good fun. So that's amazing. Uh, yeah, a lot, but a lot, of, a lot of the English listeners would be going, "What did he just say? <laughs> <laughs> what did he say? Something some about wabbies?" And, <laughs> yeah, get some bait and, and catch dinner. You know, it was pretty easy. Yeah, um, you would basically catch as many fish as you had. Yabbies. So it was <laughs> back in those days, uh, fifty some years ago. So and for all know. the uh, and for all the overseas listeners, yabbies are little small shell, like basically shellfish, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, they're like a very small uh, soft shell lobster type thing. Yeah, yeah, they're awesome. Um, and so you moved down when you were eleven. Yeah, were, you, were yeah. you already involved in music, or was that something that happened when you moved here? I mean, once you moved to Brisbane. Yeah, so when I moved to Brisbane, um, my grandparents owned a block of flats and um, they actually were originally from Mackay as well. My grandfather had made some really good decisions with land and uh, cane fields and uh, he was a butcher and had cattle and, um, you know, he sort of had lots of land uh, and then when he finished up, he did pretty well and so they were able to give us a, um, a flat, uh, a unit to live in for free, well, initially, wow. to help my mum out. And uh, when we arrived at this place uh, in Brisbane, um, around about a week later, this is a very funny story, actually. Um, and it's it's funny because I've only realised how influential this, this you know, story was on me. But um, uh, we arrived and about three or four days later, um, a package arrived that obviously was meant for the previous tenant and we couldn't find the tenant and my grandparents tried to get a hold of them and they'd shot through and um mum said uh, my mum said you can open it up see what it is and it was the beatles okay. box okay no it wasn't <laughs> <laughs> no it wasn't charlie bubble it was uh no it was um the beatles box oh, and wow. uh, like you know it was sort of like a uh I don't know, I wouldn't say it goes so far as to say it was like a KTEL, uh, you know, package of the Beatles. It was like, but it wasn't their albums. It was, um, you know, all, uh, all of their songs, but just in sort of a compilation form. And uh, I started playing those records and that was a massive turning point for me. And then around about two years after that, I got a guitar. So what would what sort of musician would you have been if it was like 
Led Zeppelin greatest hits or something, <laughs> or the Rolling Stones. Well, that's true. Well, I started getting into Led Zeppelin, of course, yeah. um, and uh, you know lots of other great bands. But the Beatles still remain, uh, you know, pretty special to me. Like just you know their their harmonies and and that's my love for music is uh, a lot of it is based around harmonies and vo- uh, vocal harmonies. I. I love to harmonise with with uh, my fellow musicians. That, it gives uh, me that, a bit of a tingle. That yeah. makes a lot of sense to me, actually. Um, so, this was when you were like eleven or twelve, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, and then you got a guitar. Did you did you get lessons or anything, or did you just sort of nut it out? No, I just sort of worked it out. And and uh, you know me, Ben, I'm a bit of a meat and potatoes sort of guitarist. But I basically just taught myself the chords, and then uh, you know I, I've got the ability to, to hear you know the, the the music and just sort of work it out um but yeah it is a frustrating thing that i never did any sort of musical theory that is something that's i've found a little bit irksome as i got went through there but it's okay you know i had a great time and you know and i've managed to sort of forge a little bit of a decent career out of out of uh, just you know the ABCs, Ds, and I even got to the Fs. Slow down, mate, with your science talk. What's this F you speak of? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, then we, we watch you on, on YouTube and, uh, you know, we, that's when you wanted to smash your guitar, Ben Eaton. I, so. uh, I, know, I, know, I know six chords. If I could learn a seventh, I'm definitely going to be famous, mate. <laughs> that's how it works, isn't it? Yeah. I think, I think it's actually inverse, isn't it? The more chords you know, the, the less popular you are. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Very true, man. Although, yeah. although in saying that, a lot of Beatles stuff is actually harmonically quite complex. Yeah, it got that way, didn't it, towards yeah. the end? They yeah. were doing some really interesting things within, like, with substitutions and the way they're moving through modalities and stuff. There's actually a, a little bit of, like, it gets quite dense there at times. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it started off pretty light, but um, she loves you. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. That, absolutely, and that was part of the, um, you know, my love for the band. Like that was just freaking me out. Where it got to, and and uh, you know, I, the risks they took. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, like one of my favorite songs is "A Day in the Life," and and I just, you know, that song just blew me away when I heard it. I could not get past it, you know, I would just sing it to myself all in the shower and, yeah, it just stuck with me. It's funny because my parents weren't big Beatles fans, so I listened to – I came to the Beatles much later. So I mm-hmm. had that same thing with, but with bands like Jethro Tull and yeah. more of the 70s kind of proggy stuff. Yeah, which, right. Which probably explains – a lot about myself, a really. Lot. Yeah, a lot. A lot, really. <laughs> <laughs> about my penchant for extra notes when they're not needed. Yeah. Um, but we, we, we crossed over there, you and I, when, uh, you know, Passion and Warfare or Flexible, where we discovered that whole Vi thing there, you know, and that man, was... Passion, passion and Warfare is it's still to this day, when I, when I finally... And I was in Mount Isa when I first heard that, when I was like yeah. 15, maybe, 16. I think yeah and that was the thing for me i just went like most other music i could listen to and go i kind of get that like yeah like i hear i can hear what might be coming you know or you know because you, mm-hmm. if you because i've been playing guitar for a few years 
you know, and because I was 15, I was the best guitarist in the world, of course. Yeah, yeah. of course. Oh, yeah. Well, in, you possibly were in Mount Isa as well. <laughs> in my mind, I was the best that's ever lived. But then, like, so I'm hearing stuff on the radio and I'm hearing CDs and albums, and then I heard that, and I was just like, yeah. I don't even comprehend what's happening here. Like, this. I know, but it still made sense oh, musically, even though, you know, it's, it's so bizarre that it's, so, like, you know, so out there, but it's, and I think that that's, like a lot of people don't get that sort of uh, stuff with Satriani and Vi, um, you know, they think it's just like too many notes. Yeah. But it actually really does make so much sense. And it's cohesive. And the, st- the songwriting, and I mean, you, if you look at the songwriting on that album, I mean, it's for the time, it was completely like otherworldly. Mm. Like obviously now with all the home production stuff, you can, you can do pretty amazing stuff. Just from your like from your from your flat or your house, but back then that was all tracked in a studio. That was all yeah. tracked like a lot of that was multi multi track like onto tape. All yeah, that sort right. of stuff like that's that's next level, man. That blows yeah. my mind. Yeah, I love. Yeah, I love he's I love amazing. Him. He's a crazy. Yeah, he's a crazy dude. Right. I love him. But anyway, we're not but, we're not talking about Steve. Vai. We're talking about you, mate. So, oh, okay. <laughs> so you you did high school? Did you take music in high school? No, I didn't. I, I didn't do any musical subjects in high school. I, I was. Uh, I did sing in the choir. Uh, uh, you know, I was involved in choirs at school, um, and that was cool. Actually, you know, that's probably another um, beginning of my love for harmony. Um, I did. I was involved in the musicals at school. So in year eleven and twelve, um, yeah, we did a like a pretty cheesy musical in year 11 called um, Once Upon a Mattress, which was, you know, that whole sort of <laughs> <laughs> like a, um, crazy send-up of Princess and the Pea, you know. Let me guess, you, you, had a, you, very, you had an artistic uh, music director, like your guy in charge uh, of the music department was very artistic, was it? Dude, he was exactly the, you know, uh, exactly the typical guy, um, Mr. G or whatever you see, you know, that fellow's, uh, comic show, I can't remember his name, but yeah, he was so standard theatre drama teacher. He was great. Um, and I had then, one of yeah, those I, as well, man. I had one of those, <laughs> and it was he was the best. He was the best. Oh, yeah. and, and, you know, like this is what the eighties and the nineties in Australia. So no one actually said, "Oh, he's you know, he, he was not openly yeah. gay," but he was. Yeah. But this guy used to turn up in like kimonos and stuff to the <laughs> to the musical practice. Yeah, and he man. was just so flamboyant. Yeah, and it was just like everyone was just like, "Oh yeah, he's very eccentric," but he's just like obviously, you know, and a flamboyantly gay man, and it was great. And he was the bet like our music because I did musicals as well. Yeah, and sang yeah. choirs the same as you actually. Yeah, and it was just cool. like back in the day, you just go like, "Oh yeah, he's just a bit of a nutter," you know. You think, "Oh, he might, he might, he might be a, you know, he might be one of those." But it was just like. <laughs> It was the best because he also introduced you to a whole bunch of stuff that you just, you know, in Australian society at the time, not yeah. te- not terribly open-minded, pretty, not terribly inclusive. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, you know, mash, m- m- meat and two veg, you know, yeah. not, not two meat and veg, it's meat and two veg. Yeah. <laughs> we had this wonderful um, situation where the PE teacher was, you know, just the enemy, the arch enemy of the theatre teacher. So it was... Um, oh, awesome. Were, yeah, and there, there was obviously these shared spaces where they had to try to book and rehearse or, you know, uh, it was constant. He was, like, so overtly macho, the PE teacher, and um, and the theatre teacher was, like, the, 
polar opposite. It was just wonderful oh, to watch. Man, it's, that's like a ste- like a stereotype play. It's like yeah, you, it was great. If you actually put, funny. If you put that on the stage, people will be like, "No, that's too stereotypical." You've got to. That's, yeah, that's just too. It happened. <laughs> we watched it play out in front of us every day. It was great. Oh, that's genius. So you did. You did. You got involved in theatre, and you got involved in that stuff. So you obviously had already had a yeah. love for performing. Were you already playing yeah. in the band, or was it more performance? Or no. So in the first one in year eleven, I was a jester uh, in this this uh, once upon a mattress. It was a great fun thing. So it was one of those ones from Broadway that uh, you know Carol Burnett was you know the originally one of the characters that made it popular and, and then uh, in year 12 we did Greece which was just so much fun and I actually played Danny Zuko believe it or not because I back then I had a little more hair than obviously you know how much hair I've got now uh, it's like looking into a mirror isn't yeah, it, it is a bit, uh, yeah it's a little bit like that <laughs> Yeah, I was Danny Zuko in that, and um, that was so much fun. Like the um, stage play of Greece is very uh, different to the movie, and there's some really cool songs in it. It's um, probably more rock and roll, you know. Like I think Olivia Newton-John um, had some. <laughs> no disrespect to Olivia Newton-John, but it's like some different influences on them on the movie. So yeah, yeah the. The stage show is like completely different, but that was great fun. So yeah, I definitely loved musical theatre. I, uh, you want to know something weird, man? I did Greece in year twelve as well. Yeah, but I was in the band. I was the you were Johnny, Johnny Casino. No, 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 I was. I was. I was in the house band. Yeah, right. So I yeah. the year the year before, the two years before that, because I was living in Brisbane in Redcliffe, which is just outside yeah. of Brisbane, and I did. I was like the like not the lead, but like the third lead in a couple of the musical plays, like year nine, year ten, and then I moved to Mount Isa, mm. which is like a small country town. And then in year twelve, they did Greece, and I wasn't the lead anymore because I was like this. I was a very dark and brooding musical genius, <laughs> so <laughs> I I was in the house band. So I know exactly. You were what smashing you mean. that hand jive, man. man. You were smashing that hand jive. The music was awesome. I really was it? loved it. There was a couple of songs like they had these beautiful like arpeggiations and stuff. Yeah, it was yeah, really great, so man. The last song instead of um, "You Better Shape Up." Had some really cool guitar parts, um, yeah. you know. That will I feel so strange? Oh man, I did. I did this whole thing where I took like this. I think they wrote it in because they knew I was such a you know unashamed show off. They just uh, they did the thing where I did this massive big solo and stuff with my, you know, with my little little homemade like effects and stuff like that. It was so good. Yeah. It had so much fun. Yeah, it, it is really cool fun. And and it's the, you know, the hanging out with all of those people. And, and, and in a school sense, you, you're sort of hanging out with a lot of guys and girls that you probably don't sort of sort of talk to that much at school yeah. Yeah. or hang around with at uh, lunchtime or whatever. And it's, um yeah, I would encourage my kids to get involved with it because it's, you know, just form all of these lovely friendships and they last forever. Like it's it's something now, uh, even when you have like a school reunion or, or whatever or, or your mates with them on Facebook or whatever, those memories are still there uh, of those times. Well, mm. they're, they're formative, man. Like that, you know, you're between 14 and 17. Like you're making like yeah. you're basically forging the person you're going to be. So I, yeah. I completely agree. And I, I was, you know, I was playing, I was playing club football. And you know, smashing into 
smashing into big buffy blokes, you know, on the weekend. But through the week, you, you go and you, you prance about and play music. It's great. Yeah, yeah. Make sure no, more the person. Exactly. Yeah, and and I was doing the same thing. You know, I was like, uh, uh, always had a basketball in my hand. Yeah. Um, and if I didn't have a basketball in my hand, then it was the guitar. And and um, yeah, it's, it's it's good to to sort of you know have have a taste of the uh, of both sides of that. The sports, I, you know, the whole. I'm a bit over football. Um, what? <laughs> I know. Right. This is uh, this man, is well in my wheelhouse. It's so weird because you know I played rugby league and then I moved to basketball, um, but yeah, I just once I've had a son, I don't want him to play uh, rugby league. You know, no. I don't want him to get injured. <laughs> Man, I, uh, I mean, you know, like I played, I played rugby league in high school, mm. all through high school, and then I played club up until under nineteen, I think, and. I made a lot of really good friends while I was playing yeah. football, but I also it really opened my eyes to a lot of like, and especially when I was playing in the bush, it was it was pretty rough. Like, yeah. you know, rugby rugby league in the outback is it's pretty rough and tumble. So you know, you spent you spend half your half the time trying to get a try and half the time sort of blocking punches and <laughs> trying to trying to put your nose back in joint, you know. And I, yeah. you know, for for, for me, I think. And when I became a musician, and I know you and I have had this conversation many times, Australia is is a very strange it's a it's a strange country. Australia, it's it's a country that's full of really big dichotomies, you know. Like, and I I used to complain because I you know you booked me for tons of gigs in Australia like for years, you know. Uh, you, bas- you basically uh, helped me pay my mortgage for a long time. Um, but the constant thing I would say is a fucking TVs everywhere, and it's constant football. It's constant yeah. football, and I think I've I've had an existential like angst with the football for years because I yeah. grew up, I grew up around football and I really enjoyed playing the football. But once I stopped physically playing it, I didn't really ever watch it again. Mm. Like I watched like the State of Origins, but to me, the frustration I had with football is it's just. It's so all-consuming, especially in Queensland, where we're from. Yes, yeah. If you don't talk rugby league, mm. there's people at origin time. Yeah, but yeah, there's people you just can't talk to. Like, there's a lot. There's a fair percentage of males in Queensland of a certain age that, if you're not discussing the finer points of the fullback in the Broncos, mm. you're not actually you're not able to have a conversation, and that. Yeah. I, used to, I used to hate that. And as a, as the more I played music in, in Brizzy, the more frustrated I got with it because there's no – you can't. and I had a saying, it's CFF, you can't fight the footy. The footy is everything. <laughs> so I'd walk, It know. is very frustrating because, you know, it's something that I have to field, uh, you know, phone calls from, from guys and all the time and they'll rock up to a beer garden and – you know, the, there's a massive screen behind them, like not just a television, you know, like a massive. A 10-foot oh, you know, giant LCD screen showing football. Yeah, everybody, football. Everybody there is to watch the game. They're not interested in you. they got no interest yeah. in you. You are in the way. It's soul-destroying, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. It is. 
And, yeah. you know, you might get the odd odd uh, embarrassing situation where, uh, you know, somebody scores a try just as you finish a song and you think that applause was for you. That's, uh, <laughs> oh, that's one of those real, that's a heart sinker, that one. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. It's, I think it's a cultural thing. I really do. I think it's yeah. a, I think it's I, – I personally have the thought that it's gotten worse simply because of the – the focus from the Australian government, particularly over the last 25 years, on making sure everyone um, is a certain way so that they don't ask too many questions. Not too smart. Make sure everyone's yeah. constantly distracted all the times. And, and sport is one of their tools, perhaps. I, I yeah. personally think it's, I think it's an effective tool and I think it works all across the world, but Australia is yeah. unique. I think Australia is like mm. Australia and like, England, I was quite surprised actually when I moved to England. In, like the English crowd is like really known for like loving football, like soccer. Yeah. Like they love it. They absolutely yep. love it. And I remember one of the first gigs I ever did here was actually, actually, it was after rugby union, it was like the World Sevens or something. Uh -huh. And it was in a pub in Fulham and I got booked for it. And it was like, okay, so you're going to be playing straight after the, the grand final of the football. And I was like, oh, this is going to suck so bad. Because in Australia, if you play right after the grand final, yeah, it's either going to be awesome because your team has won and the crowd's going to be pumping, but they're going to be <laughs> absolutely smashing a bunch of altitudes going, <laughs> or, or it's going to suck because everyone wants to kill you because you're yeah, interrupting. You're and, interrupting. And kill themselves. Yeah. yeah. But I, but I apps. It was one of the best gigs I've ever done. Yeah. And I think maybe you know that is a difference. I, I think you might have hit something there. Just unfortunately, with the Australian audience, um, because when we, uh, the band that I was in, and we had a little bit of time in the UK. As well, we did the you know the um, the Australian pockets there, you know Acton and Shepherd's Bush, and um, and then we were over in Germany for a bit as well. We did, and and the audiences there definitely are more attentive and more respectful and and less likely to take you for granted. And in fact, in Germany, um, those the the audiences loved us so much in Germany that when we came back to Australia, um, the band broke up shortly after. Um, wow. It was, yeah, it was sort of um, maybe around about two years after we got back. Um, there was an anticlimax after um, experiencing that and then coming back to uh, Australia and, and doing the shows where, you know, um, it, it's the audience is different. They don't have the same appreciation or respect for for um, what you do, what it takes to do what you do. <laughs> and they, yeah. they think it's uh, the life of Riley in some respects. They think, you know, what are you getting, why are you getting paid for this? It's yeah. like, man, yeah. you do it. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I reckon well, I've got a better chance of doing your job than you have of doing my job, man. Absolutely. Well, that's the so, thing. Like, the question I was always asked is, but what do you really do? Yeah. What's your real job? What's your, well, yeah. no, no, I mean, this is, you know, you're good. Yeah, you're good. Yeah, you sound all right. What do you, but what do you do for a job? I'm like, mate, this is what I do. <laughs> really? That's something you can do? <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. But anyway. But I yeah. mean, the thing is, that even comes down, like, 
I don't know if you got this, but when I decided, because I left university to pursue this and um, I did two years well, uh, into a Bachelor of Science degree. I don't know why I chose to do a Bachelor of Science degree, but um, and then I decided I wanted to play music. And for a while there was definitely uh, a lot of groans from my parents, and I'm not sure if you experienced that. So it's this is probably a, a thing that's bred into the audience here in Australia that um, from elder generations. I I really I mean to be to be fair, like because we moved to the bush, so where I moved to was a little country town which had a giant mine in it. So yeah. I went from when I was in when I was living in near the capital. I got you know I got academic awards every year, and I was looking at you know going into the air force and being a fighter pilot and stuff like this. Mm -hmm. um, went for interviews and everything, and they said, "Yeah, yeah your grades are good. You got to get more you know physically fit." And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, no worries. Yeah, that's fine." Um, mm -hmm. But then when I moved to Mount Isa, like the two thing two things happened. I discovered guitar. Yeah. So before like the uh, in year nine I started playing guitar. And then I did the last two years, year 11 and 12. So I got, I fell in, I just went completely into the guitar and my grades dropped. But mm. I, my parents, like my dad is a, is a, um, like basically at, at the end of the wall. So he was born at the end of the wall and he right. had a really hard life. Like he was an orphan. Used to, you know, his dad would beat him into unconsciousness regularly. He went mm. away and served in Malaya and, you know, had post-traumatic stress disorder from it for years undiagnosed. And so when mm. I was finishing high school, he said to me, make sure yeah, you, you love what you're going to do. No, no. He said, make sure you have, get a job. All right. Get a job. Cause if yeah. you don't have something to fall back on, you're fucked. Yeah. And that, well, that's what I got as well. Yeah. yeah. And that advice to me, instead of, instead of what I really wanted, which was, get on a bus and move to Brisbane and go to the conservatorium. Mm. I got on my bike, rode to the mines and became an apprentice. Mm -hmm. So that was a, if I had have got some different advice at that time, I would probably be in a much different place. Yeah. And I think that's it's got, hard, to do, isn't it? you know, like, it's, it's yeah. got to do with what you were saying. It's the Australian culture. It's like, yeah, no, no, get a real job. Make sure. Mm. Make sure that when you fail, you get a real job. You have something to fall back on. And I mean, yep. there is wisdom in that. Like yeah, that. they're doing. They're telling you that out of love. I know. Oh, and absolutely. And I, I don't, I don't begrudge my parents that at all because my dad yeah. had an incredibly hard life, and he was looking out for me, saying, "Look, man, what you're doing is what you think you're going to do is very unlikely. So make sure you have got something to fall back on." Yeah, and that's but that's that, really that, good advice. <laughs> but the problem is that the uh, it is, except that I suppose it would be nice if um, eventually we started to consider the arts a legitimate um, vocation and and yeah, di yeah direction and and job. So well, you know, I mean, I'm I'm not sure what the mood is in Australia because I've actually been out of Australia for over five years now, so I'm not really in touch with what the on the boots thing is, but I know that when I left, mm. there was, it was moving away from that very quickly. Like there, yeah. you know, there was no, you know, the governments just keep chopping more and more out of investment. You know, there's not, there's nothing extra coming in. It's all just always just chipping away at the arts. 
Mm. I don't know if that's changed at all. I can't imagine it would under Scott Morrison. But. No, it hasn't really. And then um, obviously with the pandemic, um, there was definitely a feeling that um, in particular live live performing musicians, but probably even more broader, um, you know, um, performers more broadly have been left, left out of uh, a lot of assistance there. Although... In saying that, um, there are some uh, grants becoming available now, um, and I think that's probably out of, uh, you know, I think they're finally understanding that they need to try to activate that sector because of the flow-on effect that that'll have, you know, across the board. So it's, you know, it's very, very hard to sort of, I don't know, uh, like, you know, there's a, I don't know. When you, did you see the Fortitude Music Hall before you left? That's no. a new new place in the Brisbane Valley. Uh, you know, you've got a place there that has the capacity for around about 2,000 people uh, for, uh, you know, for, for live concerts. And it's been sitting there <laughs> empty for 12 months and, uh, you know, these, like, they're, there's no festivals, as you know. I mean, you, you guys are going through it as well, obviously, but it's just hard to know how it's going to fire up again unless somebody assists. And so there are some lovely grants coming now uh, through for people to try to activate that sector. So that's that's exciting to me. I think, you know, I think some of the, some of the you know, some of the finest musicians I've ever played with are from Brisbane. You know, there's yeah, so many exceptional musicians there like especially yeah. for the size of the city and like you know it, mm. there is some amazing like world-class like musicians <clears throat> that live and work in brisbane and it just you know sometimes it breaks my heart when i think about it you know like it's just these people that don't get those opportunities and especially now as you say after the pandemic it's like mm. this is a, this is a perfect opportunity for people just to just to screw you just a little bit more, you artistic types, you wankers. Yeah. And especially when they're changing all the university degrees to make it far more expensive to get an arts degree. Like, did you uh, see yeah. that? I know, yeah, I did see that, man. Yeah, that's bizarre. Like, yeah. that's that's just, you know, people scream at, like, oh, it's always the lefties and it's always the, the universities that are, you know, oh, they make everyone gay or something. And it's like, no, no, you're <laughs> – you're you're actually shaping culture. Like your policies are shaping culture. You know. Uh, well, you know, I sit in the middle, Ben. So let's not uh, let's not start <laughs> one of our discussions. We've had many in the past. <laughs> but you know what I mean, though. Like that is there are yeah. actual there are actual like you can talk about culture war. You can talk about cancel culture and PC culture. But then there's actual policy and changing yeah. the actual real world long term economic. Uh, positions of young hopeful minds is mm. a way of shaping the democracy of your country for generations to come and it's and it's an incredibly effective tool if it's w- too expensive to get an arts degree why would mm. why would a parent or a child go into debt for 30 years or 20 years to get an arts degree like yeah you know when when that person might be a beautiful artistic mind that might have all this potential but that mind will now be shaped into accountancy or science or something they're totally not suited yeah, for. Because, I agree. You yeah, know, that, that's abominable to me. A university yeah. and, and higher education, A, should be 
fucking free in my opinion. Yes, and, it should be. And B, you should have the time and the space to investigate what you want to do. You and I both know that when you're in your 20s, you're not that smart. Like you need to explore the world and figure out what you're actually going to do when you're a grown-up. And that's the time to do it. And you shouldn't be saddled with a gigantic debt for investigating art and music and literature and that's in history and history, you know, yeah, I agree. So many minds are being crushed by that into this, you know, get a job and make sure you make sure you work in the mines and make sure you, you know, work in finance. (laughs) It's like, fuck that. There's enough assholes that are keen to do that as it is, mate. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, let's, let's not go down that rabbit hole. So oh, you just did, but no, I agree. (laughs) 100% man, I agree. And you know what? I wish, um, uh, like I said before, I, I was good at chemistry and, and math and, and physics and, and um, you know, and, and so I just, oh, I'm going to do a Bachelor of Science. But, you know, I, I wish that I had done an arts degree. And you're, you're right, unfortunately, at that time, you're not mature enough to make those sort of decisions. And um, I probably, <clears throat> I'm not saying, I wouldn't say I was pressured, but I, uh, I was encouraged to sort of go down that route, and um, yeah, it's it's a tricky one. I um, I one hundred percent agree that 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 is probably an unfair thing to uh, to target, especially. In, I mean, just in a country like Australia, mate. There's so much, there's so much potential. There's so much like spirit and vibe in the country. You know, like it's a young country. There's so much that. Australia could and does innovate even in spite of all those sort of things, you know, like in spite of all that culture of like repressing the arts and making sure no one's, you know, getting too airy fairy. Like there's still like some of the best musicians in the world come out of Australia, some of the most innovative scientists, even though, you know, every year they cut the CSIRO budget by another, you know, 3%, you know, it's, it's Mm. mental. But anyway, so when, when you went to university with the science degree, we're talking about. Yes. You yes. then dropped out to pursue music. Did you did you immediately hook up with the guys from Miles from Nowhere? Or how did that come about? No. So um, I I actually was in another band called The Distant Few, and uh, I we were sort of a bit angsty, uh, pretty rocky, and um, so at uni there was a uh, green room that had uh, like a drum kit and Mesa Boogie amp and bass amp, and uh, like you could just sort of hire that out, and so I we would find ourselves more often in the green room than actually at lectures where we were meant to be. Absolutely. And that's when we made the, I made the decision that, yeah, I think I'm going to have a crack at this. So, um, yeah, no, I did. Uh, I was in a band called The Distant Few for a while and, and we did a few things around Brisbane. We had, had a good time. Um, but it, it, I don't know, it just sort of didn't feel like a, a good fit for me um, in the end. And then I started busking um, solo. Uh, at a, uh, a little pizza restaurant and I got one of my mates uh, from school, Dan Carter, to come down and busk with me and we played two guitars and then his brother Mick uh, came along, he played drums and then uh, Dan and Mick said, oh, our cousin Ben, he plays uh, everything and <laughs> Ben McCarthy, he just, he does, he plays everything. So um all of a sudden, like, you know, well, not all of a sudden, probably took around about six months, but then we had four of us and we were busking at this restaurant. We'd, I think in the end they were paying us around about 100 bucks, and, you know, and a pizza. And um, we had a situation where people were booking to be 
near us, you know, and, and uh, this lovely guy, Steve O'Shea, who owned the restaurant, he said, uh, you know, the place is full and they all want to be out next to you. And, and um, oh, we had some fun there, man. Like, you know, we would, there was one particular time I remember, you know, we, we were doing Foxy Lady and I was playing the, uh, the solo on a kazoo. <laughs> uh, and uh, I had a hubcap and I set fire to the kazoo like uh, <laughs> Jimi uh, Hendrix the, yeah, famous, Jimmy the famous burning stage that's amazing the, uh, <laughs> I don't know why I can't remember which concert that was but yeah, anyway it's like, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, set fire set fire to the uh, kazoo and but we yeah we just sort of uh, grew that way and then thought let's have a crack at this at a pub and uh, man, we just had a really good time. We had a we had a special magic. Um, the the four of us we sang harmony four part harmonies in most of our songs, and did acapella music as well. And it just had that larrikin appeal. Yeah. Uh, our band and um, it's great fun. I'm just be forever grateful that I was involved. It was awesome. Now I went to I, I saw you play once. I can't remember, but it wasn't long after I moved to Brisbane. So it would have been late 90s, maybe yep. mid to late 90s. Yep. I think it was like at the Travel Lodge maybe. The Travel Lodge, the Jazz and Blues Bar at the That's Travel the Lodge, one. man. That's the one. Oh, that was an amazing venue. That was one of my favourite venues. And to be able to play there later on when I formed the band was just a massive thing for me because I grew up watching – these great musicians at that place. And then we ended up getting a residency there and we were asked to play their closing night um, there. So, yeah, it was, yeah, there's a couple, so many stories like that, you know. Um, we, as I say, we're just really lucky. We did, The four of us got together and we had something magic together. It was awesome. That's amazing, man. So how did you end up, so you were in that, you were in that band for a long time. Yeah, I was a long time. Um so the original incarnation for maybe eight years and then um, Ben left the band. Uh, it is tricky when you've got brothers and cousins in a band. It Ooh, did yeah. sort of, Ooh. you know, that there were some fiery times um, and that it sort of got to that stage at the end that they were clashing a little. Uh, and then uh, Ben left and we had Jeff Reeves join, uh, who's a very good friend of mine still to this day. And, and fabulous bass player. Um, and then uh, shortly after that, maybe another uh, 18 months, two years after that, Michael, our drummer, uh, decided it was time for him. He had four children. Um, so he had already ha had children when we started playing. So, yeah, he, he had a really good solid run, but it was time for him to uh, spend some time at home. And then we had Michael Gravy join us, who hey. obviously, you know, fantastic guy and and um my best mate and so yeah he um joined and we went on for another maybe three years after that it was yeah that's a long amazing. time so that was like what probably like 15 years or something is it is that right i think so yeah yeah that's awesome so when did when did that form was it was it mid 90s yeah, I, I guess so. I don't know. It's all a bit fuzzy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when the, when I transitioned from the, the other band, the Distant Few, um, but I guess it would have been mid nineties. Oh no, no, it would have been earlier than that. Sorry, Ben. It would have been probably around about uh, ninety 
293, I think. Yeah, right. Uh, so when we got to, when we played in Germany, that was uh, Expo 2000 in Hanover, the party never stops. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to see Kraftwerk at the discotheque. <laughs> <laughs> fun, 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 on the old barn. No, we, uh, we played there in 2000, and, and so Ben had left the band, uh, and Jeff Reeves had only joined uh, maybe six months prior to that. Right. And was thrown well and truly into the deep end. And so, how and long did you do? Was that one big tour you went to the UK and then no, Germany? We, we or was it separate to, trips? Well, it was two separate trips. We were asked to go over and play at the Australian Pavilion at, in Hanover. Yeah. Um, and it was fabulous. Um, it was like the Australian government, they just saw us at a gig in Canberra. We played in Canberra. It was so bizarre. And then they said, Oh, we want you to go over and play there. And, um, there's some other fantastic artists playing there. Um, John Malcolm was playing there. I met oh, John. Wow. Yeah, Brisbane genius. He's amazing. And, uh, John Malcolm's a wicked guitar player, man. Just a yeah. trippy dude. I remember seeing <laughs> yes, the trippy is. guy just with his setup. He takes like four hours to set up. I've never <laughs> seen anything <laughs> like it. I've never seen anything like it. It's like the TARDIS, isn't it? Oh, it's amazing. Man, the setup, it just. It just keeps building. It's like an organic thing. <laughs> it's just a tower of analog love. Yeah, yeah it's great. ridiculous. What a fantastic uh, guitar player, though. He's wicked. Yeah. So we did that and we killed it, man. I loved us. And um, we sold so many CDs. We had to send a, a, like another pallet of CDs over to us in Germany. And then they asked us to come back because we played for like six weeks. And then. Um, we came back to Brizzy, but then they, they wanted us to come back for another another six weeks or a couple of months at the end because it goes for such a long time, Yeah, the expo, and we went back. And then we were asked to sing the closing song at the, the closing ceremony, the, the theme song uh, written by Klaus Meiner, A wow. Moment of Glory, um, and I sang that at the closing ceremony because he's got quite a high voice and, and – um, Wow. It was like this, uh, yeah, terrible. We had this crap band um, backing us, the um, Berlin Philharmonic Orchestra. Oh. They were, uh, <laughs> Bloody amateurs. Uh, yeah, a bunch of amateurs. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was, that was amazing. You know, this, um, wow, that was that's a, trippy, man. I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah, saying the moment of glory. A moment of glory called evolution. <laughs> it was very operatic. No wonder there yeah. was a hang it was a hangover when you came back, man. That's like that's pretty yeah. that's a big high. I know, that's right. And then, yeah, it was still fun for a bit, you know, because we did a lot of stuff in Byron, which we loved. Um, and there's another beautiful pub down there, um, at Brunswick Heads that, you know, like adored us and uh, we we'd always have this, you know, regular crew sort of like massive turnout in this beer garden, and um, and Yamba. 20, 20 years ago in Byron's a very different city too. Oh man, it was so much fun. We played the Beach Hotel. Yep. Uh, you know, we, we were the paying railway. cash. <laughs> the railway, yeah, the rails. Yeah, Yamba, the Pacific Hotel in Yamba, and. Uh, we would go down and play the basement in Sydney, and, and I believe the basement is gone now as well in yep, Sydney, which closed. is terrible. Um, and the ESPY in Melbourne, we would do that on a Sunday, which was wonderful. Um, but yeah, some good times. That's amazing. So, just talk us through the 
90s circuit scene because it's something that I I experienced a little bit, but living in Outback Australia in the early 90s, uh-huh. we used to get the circuit bands come through. Did Miles ever do any of the circuit? As in, uh, what, what do you mean by that? Like- so there was like a circuit you could do that started sort of down in Sydney and you basically just go yeah. up the East Coast and go all the way up to sort of Cairns and then back down again and then go yeah, in. Yeah, we sort of did that. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we did that um, and I suppose we had just established these relationships with, with particular venues um, and obviously you had to be careful. You, you couldn't do it too often because – you know, you want people to rock up to your show. You don't want to be there and then there again another two months later. So, I mean, Australia is good for that because it's bloody big. Yeah, so, it's huge. Uh, I was going to say, that, a lot of- <laughs> that circuit's about 3,000 miles. <laughs> oh, dude, yeah. The Port Douglas, like we would go up to Port Douglas and, and play this wonderful place called the Iron Bar um, in Port Douglas. And, and um, it was a small venue, but it was just, you know, it would be crammed. Uh, you know, I would stage dive and, and, and like, all this stuff. It was great fun. And um, then, yeah, sometimes you would drive all the way back and then do another gig, like that crusty feeling of, like, driving for, you know, 18 hours and then getting out of the van and setting up the PA. Oh, and it's man. like, oh, you're joking. It's, <laughs> and that, those were the, those are things that I don't miss, you know. Um, <laughs> And the smell in the van, you know, oh, I don't yeah. miss that as well. You know? <laughs> yep, 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 yep. The uh, the Sunday the, the the Sunday afternoon trip on the way back from like a weekend away always sounds yeah. like a good idea financially. Yes. Then, then you actually get there and like, and you start setting yeah. up at three, and you've been driving since ten. Yeah. You start packing in, you just going, "Why have we done this for an extra two hundred dollars?" Yeah, I know. I could be asleep. Yeah, good good times though. It makes for good stories. Yeah, but three songs in, man, it's like, yeah, it's this is cooking. Yeah, yeah. As long as long as Gaz is driving, you'll be fine, mate. Have have a couple yeah. of uh have a couple of uh road road beers, you'll be fine, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Couple of no no. It's good for the Some voice. Dust. Yes. <laughs> it's good for the voice. Um yeah. so you you had that sort of long and illustrious sort of career sort of mm traveling and performing and you know getting to getting to perform in different countries and stuff like that and then when the band dissolved yes did you immediately start doing the uh, agency thing because your agency now is probably one of the most successful well definitely in brisbane but it's got to be yeah. one of the it's got to be one of the more successful sort of talent agencies in in any capital city hasn't it um i, I don't know um but Certainly in Brisbane, um, we're very well respected, which is, that's the most important thing to me. Um, I think it was pretty well straight away, uh, maybe, you know, six months or so after the band finished that I started coordinating uh, a venue, Pig and Whistle at Riverside, which is just a, you know, like a massive pub and it's, um, you know, it's been there for forever. Um and I started coordinating their entertainment. And as I said earlier, it just sort of led to another couple of venues here and there. And um, I don't, I, yeah, it's, it's, it's a funny thing. I, um, it's, I think why, or one of the reasons why I have managed to be reasonably successful is perhaps because of my experience 
um, performing live and being in a band, and it's it's enabled me to uh, understand both sides of the equation. And yep. uh, you know, obviously, um, there's I think you've got to represent. You've got to you've got to uh, please your client at the end of the day because they're the ones that are paying the invoice. Yep. And there's no doubt that you've you know we've you've got to at times probably you know bend over and take it up the tailpipe for uh, the, the client. But uh, I just think that not enough agents maybe uh, go into to, uh, with a straight enough bat on behalf of the artist. Yes, and and uh, which is. You know, maybe I shouldn't say that because they're actually making it a bit easier for me, uh, the fact that they don't <laughs> do that. But, you know, I just think that it's um, that's the problem is that you, you've really got to try to remember to walk that line um, and get the best possible outcome for both parties uh, and because that's the sort of, you know, that's what we've got to try to create. You know, that's the uh, the the the. the the atmosphere that we need is where everybody's happy, you know. So the culture, yeah. And it's I, I just think unfortunately there's too many too many agencies that uh, that that I know of that perhaps my competitors maybe every now and again that gets lost on them and that they uh, you know if it comes push comes to shove it's the artist that's getting screwed, you know. Yeah. And that's probably where they're going wrong. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's it's funny because like I've worked. I've worked for you know most of the agencies in Brisbane, and definitely the one thing I've always admired about your work is it's definitely a focus on the culture. It's not just about the green; it's about making sure that you know if 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 there's a legitimate complaint from the artist, that's yep. listened to. But if there's also a legitimate complaint from the venue, that's also yep. listened to. And I think at the end of the day, the thing that is the crux of the matter is what you said. The reason that you have live music is because it keeps people in longer and they spend more money. And if the people aren't spending money, then the music's not going to survive. Yeah. And I think the the reason that, oh, well, one of the th things I think you, why you've been so successful is because the artists feel appreciated and the, the venues feel appreciated. So it's kind of a win-win. And I think most of the other agencies yep. I've worked with who will go unnamed um, for, yep. uh, for ethical reasons, just keep, the, uh, just keep the venue happy. And it's just yeah. about making sure they get paid. Yeah. You know, that's, it's in, everything is about culture. I think the older I get, the more I think it's, it's mm. all about culture and setting up that you, I personally think you changed the Brisbane music landscape in the fact that people actually got paid a decent amount for a decent amount of time. Whereas that, yeah. wasn't, hap that wasn't happening before. So, you know, no. all, all, all kudos to you, mate. Well done. Pat on the back. Well, isn't it funny, though, that um, when the musician is happy and that, uh, you know, they feel appreciated and they feel like they are getting remunerated appropriately, isn't it funny how much of a, uh, a better job and they do and a, a more effort that they put into the gig and then obviously the venue is stoked and everybody, it just works, you know. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's not rocket science. It's just like, you know, if, if everybody's fair, then everybody wins.
Absolutely. Well, I mean, it's just basic human psychology, isn't it? If you feel invested in, you want yes. to invest in your product. If you don't, yeah. if you feel like you're being taken advantage of, you're not gonna you're not gonna go the extra mile for someone. But if, no, if someone is right. invested in you, it, you know, respect, time spent, you know, it, it's always gonna make you a, a better a a better worker if that's a thing. Because at the end of yep. the day, like a lot of and I say this a lot over here about the Brisbane music scene. Like it's a really, really unusual music scene in the fact that you can make a lot of money as a musician in Brisbane. Like yeah. it's, I think it's one of the only cities in Australia that you can actually make really decent money. Yeah. It's funny, uh, you know, because I'm booking one venue in Sydney uh, because one of the groups that I work with has a venue in Sydney. It's a beautiful venue. And they asked me to set up a roster down there. So I went down, met some guys, and that has grown organically, and, and it's great. They're, they're wonderful artists. But they cannot believe what happens in Brisbane. Yeah. You know, like, like they some of them want to come up and do working holidays. You know, it's yeah. like, oh, yeah. I'll come up, and, and we're going to do that. You know, I'll, I've got PAs lying around here that um, if I don't, if I'm not careful, Nicola will throw in the bin. My wife will throw them in the bin. But um, you do, <laughs> I can't you do. throw anything away, man. I can't you throw do, it you away. You do have a bit of gas, mate. Gear acquisition syndrome. <laughs> yeah, I do. It's terrible. But, uh, yeah, they're going to come up. It's just such a vibrant scene. It's amazing. And I think, um, you know, it's certainly I, I can't take the credit for, for any of this, but there's a massive solo scene. And that, like, that just keeps the wheels moving midweek. Yep. You know, um, Friday, Sunday, Sunday, you know, things move to duos and trios and bands and et cetera. But, um, you know, it's in Brisbane, um, it's really common for a venue to to think to themselves, oh, we might throw a soloist over in the corner there on a, on a Wednesday or a Thursday night. Yep. And, you know, it changes the bank balance for a lot of guys and girls. Oh, so. absolutely, man. Like it, it is a game changer. So that being said... Can you can you now sort of walk us through your personal and professional encounter with the uh, the horrible little buggery that is the COVID fact COVID COVID nineteen? How how was that experience for you? Because it was basically a yeah. year ago this week that it all shut yeah. down here. I don't know what it was like in Australia. Yeah, it was. It was uh, like about I think the twenty third of March. I'm pretty sure. Um, and, yeah, it was a flat line, man. It was just complete flat line. And, um, unfortunately, there was a couple of venues uh, that didn't pay. Um, oh, no. And sort of, yeah, uh, email addresses just all of a sudden not answered. And, and um, But uh, I was able to pay all the guys and girls, which is cool. And, in fact, one of those venues that hadn't paid has now started paying me a hundred dollars a month, which is almost more of a pain in the ass than it's <laughs> there it is. It's to apply to the invoice. I was gonna say it's gonna <laughs> suck the attacks as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, look, it was it was devastating, man. And it's you know, it's funny because um, it shouldn't it shouldn't define who I am, but you know, you start to do you, you sort of wrap wrap up yourself in, in your job in a way, um, even though I've got so many other wonderful things in my life, um, my wife and, and, and four kids, 
And um, incidentally, I've got a grandchild on the way, Ben. Oh, I don't know. If you know congratulations. Maybe, yeah, thanks, man. That's amazing. So, um, yeah. So, you know, I, I don't know why, but I was pretty down. Um, and, you know, I was, um, yeah, it's, um, but my, my wife, she's a GP. And so she was able to obviously, uh, in, to whatever degree she wanted to, uh, up the ante as far as how much she was working. She could have worked uh, seven days a week if she wanted. So she did a lot of work because we were sort of, you know, it's it's one of those things you, you um, when you're in business and you're, you've got your own business and, and cash flow, uh, you know, you're collecting GST and you're doing, you sort of, sometimes you spend money that you don't have um, yeah. because you know it'll sort of just, It'll roll exactly. through, yep. and and um, unfortunately, we just had a little situation where I had um, taken on a couple of extra clients that wanted a PA um, to be in house. And I don't know if over in the UK you guys are doing these stick systems, but the EV Evolve systems have become a quite little popular uh, yep. item for yep. these venues because they really look slick and yep. they um, they sound great. They, they sound great. They've got that lovely dispersion. And I end up buying a couple of those to put in a couple of different venues. And they're not and cheap. Then no. And then literally like three weeks after that, it just flatlined and it's like, okay, so I've got five grand in the hole there and, um, you know, the people are calling me saying, you better well just come and pick this up because we don't know when we're starting again, if we start again. So, you know, it was one of those things. And so I just wasn't able to draw a wage for ages. Um, and then. You know, you, the situation when it started to fire up, we had some issues down in Victoria, which were yep. terrible. Yep. And it's that sort of filtered across the whole country because everybody realised how easily these situations could occur. And then we had a, another little hiccup in Brisbane where some people re returned from, from travel down south and they, you know, fibbed on their uh, on their forms when they came came back to Brisbane and... Um, they tested positive and so there was another lockdown and then there was another lockdown after that around, uh, you know, just January this year and we were at Stradbroke Island and we were locked down in our unit at Stradbroke Island. That oh, was great for no. our holidays. Yeah, oh, lockdown on holidays. That sucks. But um, it's, it's that whole sort of the, the sector is not confident to really book anything. Um, St Patrick's Day is going to be an absolute fizzer this year and it usually is a, a really big, big thing for, for the business. Um, New Year's Eve was a shadow <laughs> of its former self. Yeah. Uh, so, man, it's like we're, we're getting up there now to 50% probably of where we were. So, I, I don't know, maybe the vaccination um, rollout will help help us as well. Because uh, I you know, saw that's, that, that's starting soon, is it, or? It started now, yeah. Okay. So frontline health workers um, and uh, and elderly people are starting to receive that and they're apparently going to be producing the um, vaccine here in Australia and it'll start, I think, uh, in maybe a week's time and they'll be producing a million of those a week. So hopefully it won't be too long. That's great. Well, I, I've been... I'm about as anti-Tory as you can imagine I would be, being the freaking uh -huh. lefty hippie that I am. But 
Yeah. One thing I will give them is they've gone hard on the vaccine, man. They've vaccinated like nearly 20 million people in the UK already. Yeah. And like I know quite a few people that have had the vaccine already. Yep. And it's, it is, and I know for us here in the UK, it has kind of changed the layout of what's happening. So I know that like the week before last, it was like everything was cancer, everything was shit. And then basically our our glorious leader, Boris Johnson, came out and said, we're going to start opening up and this is the roadmap and, you know, just everybody, just do the right thing, will you? Just, you know, toodle-pip, humbling idiot that he is. And But... He'd be great in a Blondie Blondie tribute band, though, I reckon. What a a colossal twat. Like, honestly, (laughs) the worst person at the worst possible time. He's the worst. He's the worst. He's the worst. (laughs) Well, I can think of somebody that was worse, but he's gone now. So I suppose. But, yeah. <laughs> I mean, but I mean, it's the same. It's the same thing, man. Like these uh, these right wing, you know, cult of personality leaders. They are the worst possible things. You need to band uh, the country together when those things happen. Not have some guy going, "Only I can save you." It's like, no, no, <laughs> you won't. You're an idiot. You're an idiot. Yeah. yeah. But, anyway, but in saying that as well, not a brush. Put a comb through your hair first, at least, no, but, you know. But that's, but that's a tactic. He does that on purpose. Oh, he musses the hair before he goes out so that he looks more like, oh, good old Boris. Oh, oh. Isn't, he, isn't he such a yeah. lovable larrikin? It's like, no, he's a fucking maniacal asshole. <laughs> I love you, Benny. <laughs> <laughs> he's an absolute asshole. Anyway, but I, I, I will give the Tories their credit. They have actually been yeah. p- paying like I have received money, not not a huge amount of money, but I have received yeah. money from the government in lump sums three times yes. and we're due That's, for some more next month. And so did I. You know, we had a, a, a an excellent program called JobKeeper and obviously myself as uh, an employee of my own company, I was able to apply for that and received it. And it was excellent, you know, and it's, it's helped a lot of people, unfortunately, you know, it's going to finish up at the end of this month and it, it will be interesting to see how that flows on and into uh, everybody's behaviour. But I understand also by the same token that it's not a endless supply of money and, and um, yeah, yeah. I would probably say, you know, as I said earlier on, I'm, um, I'm pretty apolitical, um, but um, the government here has also done a, a pretty good job in that regard. I mean, so I, I, I was actually really, really impressed, to be honest. Like, uh, you, you know, my leanings, I think, you know, Scott Morrison's yeah. a, a, an absolute monkey, but the mm. government, the government locked down, they locked down hard. They made yeah. it really difficult for people to get in and out, aside from a certain, you know, few things that happened yeah. in New South Wales and stuff. But like, yeah. the government here has only just brought in a travel ban. Like, only I, just I, brought yeah, in a lockdown. Man. Like, I was talking to some people from the UK about this just the other day, and I found that really hard to believe. I it's, couldn't understand it, that. It's incomprehensible. Like, yeah. you, look at, you look at places like Australia, you look at places mm-hmm. like the New Zealand. I'm the first to rag on the Australian government because, I, you know, I, yeah. I'm, I'm anti-conservative. I'm, you know, proud in mm-hmm. saying that. But they did the yeah. right thing. They did the yeah. right thing. They locked down hard, and they contained the disease, and- mm. You know, you're you're back to fifty percent, right? Yeah, I'm still yeah. Effect- I'm still effectively unemployed a year later. Yeah, right. Yeah. So there, there's a categoric difference in that, and 
it's it's an applica- mm. once again it's an application of policy you know yeah. the british government did the wrong thing and they've they've yeah. repeatedly done the wrong thing because they're a bunch of trust fund babies who don't couldn't organize a way out of a you know a paper bag if they tried it's yeah it's incredible and you know anyway it's it's been very hard to 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 um, believe that they were still you know allowing people to arrive <laughs> With no quarantine. By the hundreds. Yeah, without quarantine. By the thousands. I remember, and, you know, people that have heard this podcast probably sick of this story, but I went to Iceland basically like like the the Wednesday of last week, a year ago, for like three days with with Margie, my wife, for like our our 20th anniversary. Unbelievable trip. So good. Yeah. Spent way too much money. Went to like drop like four hundred pounds at like this restaurant one night just because you know it was it was our twentieth anniversary. Like we're, I'm usually I'm usually a bit of a stingy bastard, but yeah, you know, it was a special thing. And what'd you eat? Yabbies. <laughs> Yabbies on toast. Yabbies on toast, mate. It was a it was a six six seven part degustation menu with matched. Wine. Oh. Matching wines, of course, and uh, we actually—I actually cocked it up because we we didn't realise because we're doing we're doing the conversion in our head, but it's like one pound is to like twelve Icelandic kroner or something. <laughs> I love those times. Oh man! Yeah, so, and by the fourth wine, you can't do the math anyway. So it's like, <laughs> I was like oh, saying, whatever. I was like saying, okay, so this figure here must be the meal, and then this figure here, which is slightly larger, must be the meal with the wine pairing. Cool. So we'll get like little bits of wine. Little did I know that it was that A plus B, not A or B. So it was like, oh man, but it was ridiculous. Anyway, it was so good. It was like, you know, a one once in 20 year treat. It was, you know, awesome. But the first time I ever saw an elbow bump, like was in Iceland and it was Icelandic people doing it. And I'm like, oh, okay. Something's going on that I don't know. Cause we'd left like three days before I, we flew back into Luton. And it was already kicking off hard in Italy and Spain. Like there was already uh, like serious lockdowns. And Luton was probably like four or five thousand people in the entry lobby. Gosh. And there wasn't there was nothing in place. There was no warnings. There was nothing. And I thought, you know what? If someone here's got this thing, we're we've all got we've all got this thing. And I got sick. Yeah. I got sick. Yeah. I got sick on the Sunday after. So I we came back on the Friday. I played a gig on Saturday. Mm-hmm. At the end of the gig, I'm going, man, I feel a bit rough, you know. But I was like, you know, I've just been on a on a holiday, drinking too much, eating too much. Yeah. And I thought, you know, I've just pushed it a bit hard. Wake up on Sunday morning and I'm like, oh, I'm really sick. And so then like I was like, okay, this is bad. And then I ended up passed out on the on the bathroom floor on Tuesday, like unconscious. Man. It was. Did bad. you have COVID testing in place at that stage? Nothing, man. Nothing. Uh, nothing. They. I and I called them and I said, "Look," because I called the 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 I called the ambulance. The ambulance came because uh-huh. I was like couldn't breathe, coughing, uh, running a temperature like through the roof, like semi delirious, uh, like. Yeah. And I said, "I think I've got this thing. Like, I think I've got this thing." And they said, "Where Where have you been anyway?" I said, "Yeah, I've just come back from Iceland." No, you haven't got it. I'm like, okay. But yeah, I've just come. I was I've at just the come, airport. I've just come back through an airport. Like, yeah, yeah. But only it's only if you've been to Italy or Spain or Portugal. You know. Like, <laughs> oh, okay. God, it's so stupid. 
but it's like okay that i get that but like to me i'm showing all the signs of this disease like yeah. I'm, cough, I'm constantly yeah. coughing i'm having a hard time breathing like i'm running a really high fever um no i said well shouldn't you test me we don't test you and this was so this was the following week this was and this was just before they locked everything down so I got on the phone to the venue as that said, look, I think I've got this thing. You might want to, you know, let people know. And, and the venue was like, yeah, we'll do, we'll do whatever we can, but the government's not telling us what to do. Like the government said nothing. And the, yeah, right. and I called the venues for that weekend and said, look, I'm, and I was, I was in bed for like a yeah. week, man. I was flat on my back for a week. But like, isn't it quite likely that there's people coming in from Italy and um, at the same airport Yep, it's it's bizarre. it's super dumb. Is what it's just dumb, and I'm you know I I got tested, I got tested ages later, and I didn't have it. But you can have it and then lose the antibody. So yeah, yeah, I'm fairly certain that I had it, and mm. I it took me about a month to get over it, and I, I actually went and did like I did an online gig, about three, three and a half weeks after, or about a month after, and I couldn't sing. Like I was my my lungs were gone. And I, yeah, it, right. it took me about probably two months to physically feel normal again. Oh, man. Yeah, it's pretty shit. But, you know, and so they didn't lock the borders and that happens, man. So, uh, you know, I'm just really happy that Australia's done so well, personally. Yeah, we've been very lucky. It's, mm, I mean, the government's got all sorts of other problems happening at the moment. No doubt you would have seen that, but... um. Oh yeah, they're they're taking they're they're battling China. Is that right? Battling China and stuff. Oh, they're taking on China, and uh, there's some pretty ordinary accusations going on in regards sexual to sexual assaults. Yeah, sexual assaults. So yep. oh, that's 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 weird. That it's always weird that people that preach family values are always the ones that are doing the dodgy shit. Eh? It's it's almost like they only just use it as a tool. It's bizarre. <laughs> anyway, on that so note, cynical, Benny. <laughs> On that note, mate, can we? Uh, yep. we've, we've been chatting for a while, so we'll we'll finish yep. with the uh, with the speed round to get it back to music and off politics. Sure. Yes. Okay. So, who's your favourite artist right now? Oh, that's really hard. Is this meant to be a speed round? I'm going to say it straight away. No, just top of mind. John Schofield. John Schofield. Schofield. Nice. Excellent. Yep. Well done. That's that's a good choice. I'm a big fan. Yeah, what, he's awesome. What's what? What do you like about him? Uh, I like the phrasing that he uses. I think that it's um, it's unexpected at times, and um, but still still makes sense. And I feel like he's got a. It, it's like a like he's almost um, cartoony the way he he his choice of notes. I like it. Sort of it makes me sort of smile. You know, it's like almost. Um, frivolous in a way. He's having yeah. f fun, you know. Excellent. So I think he's just got a really cool personality with what he plays. I don't think he takes everything ser super serious, you know. And it's, and for it, for a jazzer, that's very important. Yeah. Well, what's your What's your favorite song right now? Nashville Cats by the Love and Spoonful. Because only because I heard it on the radio the other day uh, on the uh, Spotify because I was um, just torturing Connor. <laughs> Uh, on the way to camping with um, the first album that I bought, which was Goofy Greats, and it has all those stupid American, you know, 
songs like, you know, yummy, 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 I got love in <laughs> oh my tummy, all that sort of stupid stuff. You That's know? awesome. And, and Nashville Cats came on. I was like, oh, man, this is a good song. Yeah, right um, on. I don't know that song. Yeah, it's really cool. It's um, Have a listen to it. It's, it's got different phrasing. Like they sing the phrase sort of past the end of the bar and it just sort of, I don't know, It's and it, it, have a listen to that. It's good. Yeah, cool. Okay, so what was the last song you listened to? Um, it's actually Harvest Moon uh, Neil Young. by Neil Young because I'm singing it at Ben Finlay's wedding on Sunday. He's All asked right. me to Ben's sing. Ben's getting married. Yeah, Ben's getting married. So, um, and I'm seeing the wedding, and he oh. wants me to sing that song. So I listen to that. I've been listening to that a fair bit just so that it's in my head. Make sure you, make sure you say good day to him for me. I will. Yeah, that's going to be a loose affair. <laughs> I would say so. <laughs> if I know Ben, oh my god. <laughs> Yeah. So on that note, what was the last album you listened to from start to finish? Um, I, I think it probably would have been um, Kind of Blue uh, by Miles Davis. Excellent. I listened to that the other day and just put the whole thing on Spotify. Because yep. um, I more often would just play one song, like I'll, I'll say, you know, hey, Google, uh, play such and such, and then, you know, how it sort of creates a, a playlist the from radio, that song. Yeah. Yep. yeah, that's more often what I would do, but um, I do, I did put the album Kind of Blue on the other day. That's an excellent choice, man. Oh, I love it. What's, what song do you wish you had written? Um, I wish I had written a couple of songs. Homeward Bound by Paul Simon really resonates with me. I just think that's, uh, you know, like uh, how I felt at the end of my band days. Yeah. And, um, and well, even during my band days at times. But um, the other song that I wish I'd written, uh, there's probably a half a dozen Neil Finn songs that I wish I'd written. Yep. Um, there's a um, Dave Matthews song that I wish I'd written. Um, uh, bartender, it's called, and I just yes. love that song. Absolutely beautiful piece of music. Yeah, I love it. Okay, and who's your favourite guilty pleasure artist? Um, <laughs> like, do I have to name somebody that's probably cheesy sort of thing? And then, yeah, uh, there's a whole lot of that stuff, that sort of British stuff that's you know, that I like, like Nick Kershaw, um, you know, but it's probably, you know, or um, uh, who else? Who, I mean, I'm not really into Taylor Swift or anything like that, even though the kids play that. I don't really get, can't get that. Uh, Little Mix. The kids have played me Little Mix before when we're on the way to school or whatever, and, um, yeah, I think they're pretty cool. There you go. That's a guilty pleasure. Some, some of the production on that's quite good, actually. Yeah. And you, you can see they've spent a bit of money to arrange the tunes well. Yeah, it's 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 great. I mean, um, there's not, unfortunately, I would have to say that there's not too many songs uh, that are released, like contemporary songs that I really like. Yeah. <laughs> I mainly listen to older music. Um, yeah. and, and for the most part, I probably listen to um, instrumental music um, mostly, so either jazz or classical. Awesome. But, yeah, I don't really listen to music with lyrics often. 
Okay. And mm. what other skill do you wish you had, like outside of music? If I could wave a magic wand and give you any other skill, what, what would you like to be able to do? Well, I, I actually consider myself to be already a reasonable cook, but I would have, like, I could have seen myself, like, yeah, being a chef or, or just devoting my life to, to that because I love that um, that search for the combination of flavours. I, I think that, and like imagining what will go together and then when you're right, you know, yeah. when it works, it's like a really triumphant moment. The perfect and formula. Yeah, it's like, oh, you know, you've you've got some, I don't know, fish and, and you're thinking, oh, that, I don't know, like just when you look in your fridge and you're like, what am I going to do? And then you, you try something. I tried something tonight, like I uh, did like a roast vegetable thing. We had some eye fillet that was, uh, you know, finished in the oven. And, you know, I really like that feeling when uh, my wife sits down and said, this is beautiful. You know, she says, this is lovely, you know, and that makes me feel really good. Awesome. So, and I think maybe that's part of the performance aspect that I've always loved. Um, you know, it's nice to be to to feel that re reward. Yeah, um, feedback. Yeah, yeah. And so, but I, I love to cook. I find cooking quite meditative. You know, like I I listen to bossa nova when I cook. I love really? bossa music. I love <laughs> listening to bossa nova music and and uh, you know. Chopping some onions and garlic. <laughs> I can I can imagine you uh, shirt off, mate, with a with an apron on, doing the bossa shuffle around oh. the kitchen with a glass of red wine in your hand. <laughs> well, Ben, I can't blame you for imagining that, mate. You know, uh, I am a very attractive man. <laughs> You're an Adonis, mate. <laughs> okay, so that's it's been great to chat to you, man. It's been great to catch up. Too, it's been a while. Um, so where yes. can people find out more about you? Is it mostly Rooster Entertainment? Yeah, man, at the website there, you can find out a bit about me there and um, drop me a line to say g'day if you're in, in uh, Brisbane or City, Sydney and you're uh, a musician and you're keen for, for some gigs because I always love to see new guys and girls and so do the venues. And, uh, you know, as you say earlier, we've got a really healthy scene here and so many lovely young guys and girls coming through. I'm actually currently um, uh, conducting uh, a... Um, sort of singer-songwriter competition at um, the Soundgarden, a new venue in the Valley. Okay. And I'm doing that for the guys in there and um, it's just a love job, not getting paid for it, but um, at least I'm seeing lots of new talent. Um, and last week's heat was ridiculous. It was – everybody was so amazing. So, yeah, that's that's been going uh, – having a really good time doing that. We did a band competition in September and it's been nice to be involved with the original side of things, Ben, for a bit, you know. Because I've missed that a little. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Although you did hear my uh, "Don't Shoot the Hurricane" EP uh, about eighteen months ago that we released, Jason I, Milhouse and yeah. I did, and it was very good. Yeah, we're doing another five songs at the moment. Actually, um, was that was that the one that was tied in for the fundraiser for the chap with the um? So no, that was a different little thing. That was uh, uh, John Hanley's um, gentleman who's terminally ill with motor neuron disease, and oh, we've written three songs together. Yeah. And uh, we're uh, currently doing a fourth one as well. And we've done a couple of live performances with John and it's that's been really rewarding as well to to be involved with, with him and um, um, enabling him to, you know, put down some tracks that uh, that his, his family is going to cherish forever. That's been Absolutely awesome. awesome, man. And so the people can find that single and the, the one you released on Spotify? Yes. Uh, so there's the... Uh, uh, what, 
So I think if you just type in um, John Hanley or MND and me um, is the charity that's that uh, John's been raising money for, MND and me, um, and you'll find those on, on Spotify. You'll also see them on YouTube and, and a couple of clips of John um, chatting um, about himself and, and they're, they're really good. He's, he's just such a champion fellow and such a brave man and it's cool quite an incredible story because his voice is quite raspy to speak but um funnily enough when he opens his uh false vocal folds he he can find a singing voice and so amazing. it's been really amazing to to do that with him um and then yeah our originals is uh called don't shoot the hurricane um Gibbo, Milhouse, and, and myself but uh yeah we're gonna do another one soon it's been really fun and um jason's a hell of a guitarist he's um, great man i love yeah. I, I mean i've done a bunch of albums with jason he's one of one of Br uh, brisbane's best kept secrets i think he's amazing yeah. he's an amazing yeah. musician amazing producer amazing engineer the studio is a, a little bit awesome too yeah uh, yeah I, uh, yeah the last the last ep i did was there and it was organic audio is it, is it still organic audio no, it's our record works now. Record works. Yeah, record works, yeah. Definitely. So, yeah, and, and in saying that, um, I want to shout out to Gibbo as well because the dude just writes these amazing songs and he just writes so many of them. It's so, like, yeah, I just sort of – he has me in to come in at the end and, and sort of uh, contribute a little, but uh, he comes in with these songs that are like 95% finished. And Martin, um, Martin Gibbons, he's a uh, – yeah, he, he plays his cards close to his chest, doesn't he? He doesn't. He doesn't go on about stuff, but he always gets it done. Yeah, yeah. And, and we we write those, and 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 some of those songs we write in a really different way. He would come and play some chords, and he would just get me to to scat um, in a mic and just start singing all this stuff, you know, like just different melody lines that I could hear. And it really worked well for him because then he went away and he wrote these songs and probably wrote them differently than he would have usually written them because they, they weren't uh, the lines that he was necessarily thinking in his head. So it worked very well and we're just doing that again now. That's awesome, man. I look forward to hearing it. Thank you, Ben. All right, mate. Well, it's been a pleasure. So go and uh, everybody's listening, go and check out Rooster Entertainment and Record Works and Martin Gibbons and the, the Motor Neuron Charity. Um, and hopefully I'll see you on a stage soon, mate. We're probably, we're probably thinking about heading back to Australia next year. So oh, well, awesome. We're having swing, dinner, for sure. Swing by for a uh, swing by for a visit. No, I expect to see you topless with an apron. I will be Bossanova. topless and bottomless, <laughs> listening to Stan gets, and you're going to get a seven course Digo with matching wines. <laughs> I'll hold you to that, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, Ben Eden. I love you, mate. See ya. See you, mate. Bye. If you've enjoyed the podcast, feel free to head over to the PayPal link attached to the description in the show notes and throw us a couple of pounds. You can also head over to my website, www.beneatonmusic.com and check out all the stuff that I do. I'd love for you to leave a comment or get back to me on Facebook, Instagram or YouTube, all under the name Ben Eaton Music. Have a great one. We'll see you next time.